so my likely story you know origin story is uh, Ethiopians you know as hunters and gatherers the first you know human society in the world uh, while forging and going about their daily business uh, saw other animals uh, and birds and monkeys and the like consuming this uh, fruit which is happens to be a coffee fruit and start consuming it coffee actually in Ethiopia culturally we used to make a, a power bar sort of food out of the pulp when human beings went on long travels they would take uh, uh, it's it's like a meatball kind of uh, uh, product that we prepare and we used to take it with us on long journeys and we used to take it as a energy giving uh, food so in Ethiopia coffee didn't drink, started out as a drink so we started with the husk and the pulp and eating it as food so but there's so much to be researched and hopefully people from both uh, you know the Ethiopian Orthodox Church uh, the uh, Islamic institutions they have really long written history uh, since we've had written a writing system of our own uh, before the birth of Christ so and since we've also started you know animal husbandry you know the pastoral communities of uh, the Eastern Africa uh, contributed a great deal to that and we've also had uh, you know agriculture uh, sedimentary agriculture being practiced for four or five thousand years here uh, then it gives you an idea of how all those different innovations that took place at the community level in early humans uh, starting the past hundreds of thousand years came about to really give us a, a, a much more dynamic and evolved coffee consumption culture and technologies so this boils the natural and the cultural part is what makes the essence of Ethiopian coffees very interesting. The other part is the natural heritage part is relates with if you're the side of origin and the coffee arabica plant if you don't know is a a self-fertilizing plant so it prefers basically to give you an offspring by itself uh, other plants need both the male and the female uh, from different plants uh, and likely they prefer not related plants coffee arabica uh, basically if you have one plant and it gives you fruit uh, if you plant that fruit it's fertilized already and when you plant that seedling it grows, it gives you now because it's already self-fertilizing plant. That's why uh, the tetraploid innovation or the hybridization process, one of the outcomes is that it made uh, coffee arabica, uh, self-fertilizing plant. That's why when it traveled out of Ethiopia, uh, you know, and then uh, to Yemen and then it was picked up by the Dutch and really disseminated across the world, that's why it was able to propagate but there are two things that came about of that one 
the one plant that left Ethiopia into Yemen or from Yemen to the rest of the world, they're pretty much really very much related. Uh, that's why they're a cultivation variety and why they are so similar. So the genetic diversity is very limited. Just consider them to be inbred. So same plant having offsprings and then from that you basically propagate the second generation the third and it goes on so for the past four or five hundred years of modern cultivation of coffee uh, that's it you know you get basically a refined refined version of it and that does two things one it limits the genetic uh, variety diversity of it and so but it highlights a particular unique aspect of it it might be flavor it might be uh, appropriateness for that climate it might be yield productivity and the like but at the same time it also limits its natural ability to resist when exposed to different uh, variables so this is resistance drought tolerance and that the like are hard to come by so and this comes back to climate change but we'll talk about that in another topic and uh, so that's what I mean by the, uh, you know, the natural heritage. In Ethiopia, genetic diversity is, for coffee arabica, is the greatest. So it's considered that 80 to 90% of the genetic diversity of coffee arabica is found in, in Ethiopia, especially in the forest systems. And thankfully, we do have uh, gen banks uh, both uh, live and suit that try to maintain whatever varieties we uh, germplasms we collect but at the same time you know climate change in ethiopia over the past uh, 78 years went from a forest coverage of 40 to 50 percent to down to the two to three percent and we're trying to really invest in that and recover and that's what you've been seeing uh, for example, uh, just uh, uh, last year, you've heard a campaign where Ethiopia tried to plant, you know, uh, four billion trees in one uh, rainy season, and uh, in one in, in, in that endeavor uh, ended up planting uh, 300 million plus trees to trying to break the world record. So, and this year the plan is to plant five million, I think, and uh, five billion trees seedlings that is so and uh, so we're really trying to invest in our uh, reforestation program and introducing endemic trees and the like but at the same time we're also trying to protect them by categorizing them as a you know national national forest uh, national park uh, and uh, you know collaborating with an international institutes like UNESCO to designate them as biosphere reserves and the like because it comes with responsibility you don't get the designation of biosphere reserve unless you invest to protect it so that's good uh, and is, this is also the genetic diversity I'm talking about is also the reason why uh, I think coffee biotechnology has big potential in Ethiopia and I will talk about it maybe in more than one episode down the road. But a, a glimpse I can give you is that uh, the world currently is trying to uh, really develop the seedling industry for coffee. You know, like any agricultural crop, uh, coffee has a supply and value chain, you know, supply chain and value chain. But uh, if you look at, you know, wheat, if you look at corn or maize, uh, 
the, the seedling industry is big you know the big ag corporation you talk about and the like the, the, one of the, the, the it's not just the you know pest control systems that they come up with they also own seed varieties that optimize yield quality and the like and uh, i'm not gonna get into the ethics of it and the uh, discourse of it because that's another topic but uh, coffee unfortunately even though it's been around as a commercial you know uh, agricultural product as a cash crop for hundreds of years actually does not have a seed industry and that's uh, amazing because uh, that's a key input uh, and in the time of climate change that presents an amazing opportunity that Ethiopia really needs to consider uh, but you cannot really do it in the old agricultural method of trying to develop varieties that are suitable for different climates uh, you need to use biotechnology you know genomics intensive uh, scientific work and this ties back to the purpose I was telling you about why open an institute of technology so you know uh, I'm hoping to have a, you know, a big genetic center where we do a lot of research on agricultural uh, inputs of Ethiopia so that we use them for uh, good purpose you know uh, for sustaining uh, an agricultural product and making sure that climate change is not a threat to our way of life uh, from a smallholder agriculture system all the way to you know the businesses that you know thrive on that agricultural product so that's the natural heritage of coffee for Ethiopia unfortunately we have not been using it for our advantages uh, and when we do it's f limited engagements and usually uh, you know Ethiopia has released about 40 or so uh, you know varieties that have been you know researched and adapted by uh, agricultural colleges or research institutions from Ethiopia some in collaboration with others what we have not done is uh, really did an amazing job of documenting because the real pioneers and the real and this goes to the culture that I'll talk about in the later part of this episode is that uh, Ethiopians don't have just cultivation varieties actually we hardly have what we could consider cultivation varieties like the rest of the world what we have is land races or a general characterization of uh, uh, variety that we use for cultivation purposes but it is developed by our farmers so for a particular location people adapt a particular set of varieties uh, to grow and so when we talk about Sidama coffee when we talk about Yirgajafe when we talk about Jimma when we talk about Harar when we talk about Benchmaji when we talk about coffee from West Gojam and Amara region or Zege from Bahardar area when we talk about coffee from Norzwello Samin Shawa and the like all these have been adapted from a particular purpose uh, most of them in the 
uh, north, northwest, and northeast and northern part of Ethiopia, coffee came about in the last hundred years, a few hundred years. Uh, in the west and the southwest, coffee has been around since the beginning <laughs> of coffee Arabica, that is. And when you go into the uh, eastern part, uh, actually the Haro coffee is considered uh, an adaptation of a variety that left Ethiopia to Yemen and came back to Haro. That's how the... Uh, but one of the thing, fascinating things I would hope that the researchers would do is do a genetic analysis of... Uh, you could actually trace heritage and particular designated area and how things evolved with coffee by doing genetic analysis. So especially coffee gives you a, a nice uh, coffee arabica that is. By the way, I mostly talk about coffee arabica because in Ethiopia, uh, one coffee robusta and other varieties don't really grow uh, large scale. And two, it's actually illegal to grow anything but coffee arabica. That's another story. So th th that's uh, a major part of my interest. Another thing that makes it a natural heritage is that, you know, the, the advantage of the natural heritage and why you need to invest in it, look, look into it, not just as preserving it, but also using it for income generation and changing livelihood of people is critical because what's important is that this genetic diversity uh, is because it's a self-fertilizing plant, uh, by default also, it's, there is a limited genetic pool. So nature has made it uh, such a vulnerable plant. At the same time, it gave it an adaptation strategy. I mean, it, it, the fact that it could self-pollinate and self-fertilize and give fruit by itself made it able to survive wherever it goes. At the same time, that inbreeding tendency made the natural genetic diversity that's available out there limited. So it's really uh, an essential, uh, if you could think of genetic materials, uh, as a critical input uh, for anything, then uh, if the genetic diversity is limited to begin with for a plant, then that's critical. And you don't have to take my words whether it's critical or not, but looking at the global trend, uh, there is an institution out of uh, Texas A&M. Uh, it's called World Coffee Research. And that's basically what they dedicate most of their resources to. It's a, a non-profit founded by coffee corporations uh, or supported by. Uh, don't know the full story in the background, how it came about. But I know big corporations are, uh, and academics and researchers and the like are collaborating. And currently they have, uh, they are field testing different varieties in 23 or so countries or locations and trying to do and I'm telling you this story not not only because it's interesting by itself but it also ties back to what Ethiopia could do because they're trying to test it in different climates and areas and trying to determine this is adaptation with new varieties they developing and the like so how they went about it is two things one in the 1930s or slightly earlier uh, sometimes I confuse dates because Ethiopian calendar and European calendar differ about eight years, seven and a half years to be exact. So sometimes when I read, depending on the source, uh, I confuse dates. So uh, apologies for that. And then also there was another expedition in the 1950s 
uh, and this was done by the latter one was done by uh, UNFAO the United Nations Agency for Food uh, and Agriculture Organization and basically they collected germplasms and took them out and you find them in Central America and Latin American countries and Europe now and so they basically try to uh, see how many different genetic varieties uh, they've had on their hand and using those uh, they tried to develop variety but there was also another interesting undertaking they did recently uh, you know depending on how they use it we could talk about the ethics of it down the road but they had uh, an expedition into South Sudan I think 2015 2016 I'll do more research on that to be the exact date but they went there to collect varieties so and you know the the, the, the Ethiopia doesn't allow expeditions for the collection of germplasms uh, so and so those varieties uh, that were collected from South Sudan uh, so I'm sure they're you know being used one way or another you know as a scientist i'm curious you know and i would do it as well so that's why i think ethiopia and the purpose of this among many uh, areas of interest that the world coffee research center has uh, developing a seedling industry for coffee is one of them so when i started out into coffee some 10 years ago and looking at you know just the business of it and then the more I looked at the more I investigated the more I studied Ethiopian coffees trying to identify the competitive advantage of Ethiopian coffees I do feel like you know genetics is one of them and that's something that and in, in about the next decade if Ethiopia doesn't do anything with the genetic resource it has uh, I'm not quite sure what kind of value we'll have for the simple fact that I think genomics would be so far ahead that we could develop most probably any gene variety that we want by trial and error in a, the age of artificial intelligence we could look at patterns that really so the sky's the limit with genetics so I think it's up to Ethiopia to really venture into that for two reasons one is human resource development because I was trained in biochemistry and biotechnology and look at and in a liberal arts college education setting and I've been able to do a whole lot of stuff that has nothing to do with science whenever I want and the curiosity part is what's important and I think that's what human resource development is human capital development is so the reason I'm ultimately interested in and opening a teaching institution is that I want that legacy to be mine.